millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you talking about? What have you I'd like to stay alive for This is the Irish Times Second Captain's World Cup podcast. First show of the week. Oh, my David here with Kieran Murphy. Hello there, Owen. You know this phrase, blink and you miss it? Yeah. I'm going to amend that slightly. Yeah. I learned a lesson last night, Murph. Particularly when it's this World Cup. Yeah. Fall asleep on the couch. And you'll and, miss and it. And miss it, yeah. yeah I, Eyelids uh, <laughs> droop. Eyelids droop and you'll miss it. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to half time of the US. Uh, who were USA playing? That's like Portugal game. Yeah. <laughs> got got to half time. You might notice I was a bit dozy in the first half there, Murph. Yeah. But I, I was watching it thinking, okay, not many goals so far, but this looks like a game that could go loco in the yeah. second half. It really did. Portugal were so just dreadful. America had their usual energy but a slightly, I don't know if naive style of yeah. play is the right way to do it. I kind of knew it was going to go. I watched the halftime analysis. I was all good. And at some stage, my eyes closed fully. I don't even remember ha- the point where I decided mm. to lie on the couch rather than staying sitting yeah, upright. Yeah, yeah. But all I remember is waking up at four in the morning oh, with God, some no. dreadful, I don't know, some non that's, that's, that's not good. Oh, that's not good. It's terrible. I feel, uh, First really- time it's happened. Is this, was it the first time yeah. that that's happened? Okay. In the World Cup. Well, that's yeah. good. It's happened yeah. in my life a few times. Yeah, I'm sure that it has. Uh, Brian Phillips, the Grantland writer, he's uh, at run of play. You should all follow him on Twitter. He's mm. extremely good. He described the game as a um, uh, reasonably stoppable object uh, meets uh, extremely resistible force. <laughs> and I thought, that's exactly what this game is like. And there will definitely be more goals in this game. And, uh, well, my patience was rewarded. Your sleepiness, unfortunately, on was... Was not. Let's head over to Brazil. Yeah, you can laugh. That was the World Cup. Ken Early is in Natal, I think I'm right in saying, Ken. Yes, yeah, so I'm in Natal. It's absolutely, absolutely tipping down out of the sky. This is the worst weather I've ever seen. <laughs> 
Um, I think I was just gloating a little bit about the uh, the nice weather in Fortlet. So I'm here, and it looks like the sea is coming down out of the sky, uh, <laughs> which is which is in keeping with the apparently the way it's been in Natal uh, recently. This city has half been washed away by the rain. Um, there was the, the there was all these uh, sinkholes that opened up on the news, and sort of it's it's a weird it's a weird city that seems to be seems to consist almost entirely of sand dunes. Um, the stadium is called the the Stadium of the Dunes, and uh, they've got like the Dunes Park. So you can see that sand is a big thing here, but um, uh, a lot of it seems to have have uh, been sliding away in the form of landslides uh, and disappearing into giant sinkholes, which have been opened up ra- in, in the middle of random <laughs> roads. So not a great time for the people of Natal, Owen. No. It's just down the coast uh, from Fortaleza, so I'm not quite sure how the weather's so different. I mean, it's still it's still obviously pretty hot. But um, it's a little bit wetter as well. You're there for Italy against Uruguay tomorrow night. But there's so much to talk about before then. And uh, maybe we should start by looking back at the weekend we had, Ken, because the game that you were at was the uh, maybe the half of the tournament so far. And that's saying something considering how many amazing halves and games have been. But you were at uh, Germany against, uh, against Ghana on Saturday night. How was it? Oh, it was fantastic. It was absolutely brilliant. I mean, I've been at the Germany-Portugal match, um, and that was a real uh, a real demolition job. You know, Germany were like a combine harvester. Uh, Portugal just had no uh, no idea what to do. From the, from the very first minute, they were getting pounded. And, you know, I think it was 3-0 by halftime, and the game was effectively over with the Pepe red card. Now, this was a completely different game. I think the Ghanaians had kind of had watched the Portugal game and figured out, all right... Number one, let's not try and defend around the halfway line. Let's let's stay a little bit closer to our goal than that because Germany seemed to be very good at, at getting runners in behind the def- uh, in behind the defense. So let's try not to give them too much space to do that, um, and let's try and kick Tony Kroos a lot because it turns out he's the only one in this German midfield with. Um, uh, well, he's he's the he's the guy with the imagination. He's the architect of all their moves. Uh, so let's get in there and boot him every time the ball comes near him. And this actually really worked. In the first half was this tight and tactical game. Uh, Germany had uh, created very few chances. Ghana actually had arguably the better chances, uh, although very little uh, very little possession. Yeah. And then in the second half, it all just completely went out the window. It was just it was insane. I mean, Germany eventually managed to get their goal. Uh, Goetze got the goal. And I have to say, it was one of the only things that Goetze did in the match all night. Um, he's going to need to do a little bit more, in my opinion. And it but, wasn't exactly uh, an amazing finish either by any standards. No, no, he kind of bundled it. I mean, he headed it Off straight knee, down at the yeah. ground, was looking up that his knee volleyed it perfectly into the net. Um, at which point everybody thought, okay, well, that's that. Germany are going to score a couple couple more goals here because they do like when their opponent is, has to come and attack them. But not on this occasion because Ghana just came back at them like a train and proceeded to absolutely hammer them for the next 15 to 20 minutes, which had, I think, two the, the spell of play, which brought two goals for Ghana, two fantastic goals, one by Andrea Yu, one by Esamoa Gian, um, the second one created by Philip Lamb's mistake, which I don't think he was too happy about um, afterwards, and, uh, and a series of unanswered shots. Um, and it was really only closes, really similar to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's goal, uh, in the 1999 Champions League final, um, which was totally against the run of play that uh, rescued Germany. It was an amazing game of football. 
the reaction to it was interesting. I saw uh, some of the quotes from Philip Lamb that you had in the paper today, Ken, and uh, it seemed like, well, maybe he was the only person in the stadium who didn't enjoy that amazing second half. Because, yeah, I mean, after the closer goal, it, what happened was that the game just went completely insane. I mean, we thought, okay, draw draw kind of suits Germany, um, still keeps Ghana alive, probably. Um, maybe maybe they'll maybe there'll be a bit of settling going on here. Maybe the teams will be afraid. But that wasn't it at all. It was just crazy. It was completely end-to-end. It was 30 seconds between chances uh, at either end. And it was absolutely incredible to be in the stadium and because the crowd was loving it. The crowd was absolutely... The crowd was obviously completely pro-Ghanaian. That's twice now the Germans have had um, hostile Brazilian crowds. Um, uh, I don't know whether it's a, a thing against Germany or whether it's just an underdog thing, but um, one way or the other, they've, they've essentially been playing hostile crowds in both their uh, matches. But uh, from Philip Lamb's point of view, this was not good because it doesn't reflect particularly well on Philip Lamb. He's there supposed to be the orchestrator of this sophisticated midfield machine, and the machine is just... Is is not a factor in the game. There's nothing happening in midfield. It was just one end of the field to the other. Lamb is running back and forth. He was complaining a good bit about the um, weather later. Remember, Germany. All Germany's games are in these uh, hot places. The one last night was in uh, Fortaleza. So, although it wasn't that hot, because I mean it was after sundown, uh, so it wasn't as though you had direct sunshine, uh, you know, shining on the players as as there was the case in the uh, Germany Portugal match. Um, it's not really ideal weather for you know running uh, six and a half kilometers in the second half from box to box. So Lamb was really complaining about that. Uh, I mean, he was the one who'd made the mistake uh, to kind of hand uh, Ghana their their two one goal. He didn't actually refer to that himself. He did, however, talk about the fact that if a game goes like that, that means you're not playing well, and that's exactly what we don't want here. Um, you know, I mean, I would have thought the person most culpable for that was himself, but I suppose that's the captain. You know, he doesn't want to single an individual out for blame. He he lays it at the, <laughs> the at the door of the team. Of all of his teammates, yeah. Group G has been very good to us because when I awoke from my slumber, Murph, oh. I got myself to bed. Then I got up and watched the highlights of USA against Portugal last night. And um, well, I mean, the US are just a unbelievable team to watch for a start but it's set up this incredible scenario now Ken that Germany play USA in the last game a draw is good enough to get through on both sides and the the suggestion that there'll be some sort of maybe a little unwritten agreement in the in the mould of Ireland against Holland in the last 20 minutes back in 1990 particularly with Klinsmann's relationship with the German team but is that actually more complex than we're led to believe because uh, I, I get the sense that maybe it's not as though all the players in the German setup ne- who were involved with Klinsmann necessarily see him as the, the sensei. Yeah, well, I watched this press conference, Owen, last night, the, the Jürgen Klinsmann press conference after this game, and the German journalist twice asked him about whether about the possibility of a friendly draw. Hmm. Um, and the second time he, he said, well, look, you're talking about something that's part of the German football history. Not, no, it's not in the American football history. We're, we're, the history of American football is American soccer, is we give everything all the time. We try to win every game all the time. Uh, you know, and, he, and he said, I think, if we, didn't, if we didn't do that, Mexico wouldn't be here. Because <laughs> if you remember, Mexico yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, only qualified because the United States won a game they didn't have to win, and they saved Mexico's bacon on that occasion. So... Um, Klinsmann was was referring to this shameful 1982 match between West Germany and Austria when they um, cooked up a 1-0 win for West Germany 
which took them uh, both through. Um, but uh, I think the interesting thing here is that if you're a Yogi Love, I mean, they, they, they also asked, well, you know, you used to, Joachim Love, the German coach, is your friend. I mean, will you be calling him up to discuss the match? Which I imagine if they did would get them both banned from football for life. Um, you know, well, Yogi, hey, it's Jürgen. Fancy uh, fixing our World Cup game on, <laughs> on, on Thursday? You know, that, that, would, be, uh, that would definitely not uh, be, be a sporting conversation. He said, look, there's no time for friendship calls now. It's business time. Said, uh, said did he Klinsman. actually use the phrase business time? He did, yeah. He, okay. he, well, it, whether it was business time or it's just business, or I, I can't remember. I was pretty tired at the time. But he definitely said, it's not friendship. It's, there's no time for friendship calls now. It's just time for business. So he said, um, so, so himself and Yogi certainly are not going to um, actually cook up a plot between them to fix this match. Uh, but of course, they don't need to do it. I mean, we remember that Ireland Holland match. Once everyone is aware, okay, this result is is going to suit both of us, then all you get is a lot of passing around um, of the ball in midfield, and suddenly the game is over. Um, and it's amazing how often those kind of results do tend to happen when it, when you've got a result that's mutually beneficial for both teams. The thing here, though, is that I don't think Germany want another one of those 1982 matches on their record, mm-hmm. because. I think they've got an explicit sort of agenda in recent years to show that they're not the same as they used to be and they're not as cynical as they used to be and they want to be this kind of loved team around the world. And you don't become, you don't become a loved team around the world by fixing games and, <laughs> and conspiring with your opponents to... With to other, other G7 teams. members to freeze out smaller African nations, yeah. for instance. That's not going to no, play exactly. well. No, 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 you really don't. So, so um, you know, I mean, they, they might have got through easily in 1982 thanks, thanks to that um, little uh, ploy they, they concocted with the Austrians. But we're still here talking about it 32 years later. You know what I mean? And I don't think Germany wants any more of that. So I think they would like to go and win this match. But, of course, it turns out it's not as easy to beat the United States as everybody maybe thought it was. I mean, there they were in the heat in, in Manaus. A friend of mine was saying it must be difficult for the Americans out there in that heat dragging those gigantic balls around with them. And, <laughs> and somehow or other, they, they managed to come back and, and probably should have beaten Portugal and, and actually qualified. So it's, it's, it's not going to be necessarily an easy game uh, for the Germans in Recife. Yeah, now the point I was making about the players, Ken, is that I know Philippe Lam, whose autobiography you were quite taken by, was somewhat critical of Klinsmann. So uh, the the point from my end of things really is that it's not as though even, whatever about Yogi Love, I'm sure they, he still has a good relationship with Klinsmann, but it's not as though the German team, the players, are really care one way or the other whether or not Klinsmann gets his American team through. No, uh, no, absolutely not. They don't have any, uh, I don't think they have any sympathy. They take quite great pleasure, in my opinion, in knocking him out, uh, just as Klinsmann would take great pleasure in knocking them out. I mean, he was asked, that was the last question he was asked, how would it make you feel if you won and actually knocked Germany out? And he didn't answer the question. He just said, look, we're going to go there and give absolutely everything. See you guys and see you guys in Recife. Um, but, you know, he, I suppose he couldn't say, yeah, it would give me enormous pleasure to knock Germany out because then Yogi Love would go and pin that up in the world, the dressing room and all that sort of stuff. I mean, in the book, Lamb talks about Klinsmann. One of the things that he says about him is is that he was always using, you know, he actually even speaks German with an English accent now, or, or American accent now, rather. And he was always using, you know, English phrases like, Fast and furious, guys, fast and furious. Or, you know, motivation, guys. You know, we're a team. Motivation. And, and the, the players are all sort of, you know, looking at him when he, when he would use these, uh, these uh, English words. Splendid isolation was another one that he used when, uh, when they were all in their, 
in their team hotel for some reason. That was one of Klinsmann's buzzwords. But yeah, it seemed like Lamb didn't really like him. I mean, he says when he when Klinsmann took over at Bayern Munich, Lamb says, yeah, we all knew within like six to eight weeks that it wasn't going to work out. <laughs> Which, I mean, Klinsmann, I think, was there for nine months altogether. So uh, it's not, you know, when you hear like one of the, the main players in the team saying he'd written you off after six to eight weeks, I don't think he would have been too happy about that. Yeah, let's uh, talk about a couple of the other big games in the weekend, a couple of other tournament favourites, Argentina and Belgium, neither of whom particularly impressed, but they both got their wins. Miguel Delaney is with us now. Miguel, how are you? Not too bad, thanks. I hope you're enjoying the tournament. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what you make, first of all, of Argentina. Should What's the dominant storyline here? Is it that Messi has gone two for two in dragging his team to victory? Or is it that Argentina don't look really like World Cup winning material so far? Well, I think... Uh, almost kind of counterintuitively, um, I think it's actually precisely because they haven't looked that great yet, but they've kind of gone through. That I actually, I still think they're the best bet for the tournament. I think they'll grow as a, as a consequence of moments like this. And I actually think that some of the problems they have they've had, you know, all this debate about switching between kind of the four three three that suits Messi or the kind of a better bolstered formation that suits a backline that was pretty badly exposed against Iran. That could. Ha- kind of help serve them in the long run because of the fact that Sabay is thinking about it. And it means that teams mightn't be able to second-guess them. Now, I suppose that's, that's my own feeling. But, I, I mean, I kind of wrote about it after Saturday, but the big question from the Messi goal, is, is it down to that? Is it something that they can build on or does it just cover up these flaws? Um, and, and also, I suppose, um, is Messi capable of, uh, if they can't cover those flaws, is Messi capable of uh, doing that so often? I mean, that's, that's twice now. But even in that game, I mean, it was such a contrast in his own performance. Well, I suppose maybe it's part of it that for so much of the game, I mean, one of the images that kind of stood out for me from the match was Messi kind of strolling around almost languid. Now, I suppose on TV then you can see even when he is doing that, the, the eyes are always darting. And it means he can kind of go from kind of doing absolutely nothing mm. to suddenly kind of bursting through you in a heartbeat. Yeah, and that's a, maybe the key point, whether the flaws can be covered up by Messi achieving and doing what he's been doing I don't know we keep using the 1986 Maradona comparison and I'm sure Maradona was incredible in every game or maybe he wasn't maybe there were one or two games where he didn't do much but ended up scoring an amazing goal or two and is that going to be enough from Messi is that all they need do they actually need him to dominate the game a little bit more because it doesn't look like that's the Messi that's there at the moment it looks like what we have is the, the Messi who can just strike once or twice in a game yeah, absolutely. I mean, even his, his performance on actually his performance on on Saturday was very similar to the opening game, and that other than the odd flash, he did really nothing for the first half. Then, kind of, got the sense that he felt he had to take more responsibility. I mean, straight after half time, just like in the uh, Bosnia Herzegovina game, he picked up the ball and kind of you know ran straight through. Um, he hit a shot just wide, um, and then eventually, kind of you know, as, as it came into the seventy minutes, and that he was trying some of those free kicks, a lot of deliveries. So it, uh, he he grew into the game himself. Uh, even actually, because it was before the tournament, so I had to do a kind of rake of Messi Maradona uh, parallels, mm. and I was looking, you know, obviously into the, the actual the details of how Maradona did. I mean, everyone, everyone remembers obviously the uh, the quarterfinal and semifinal against Belgium, the second one, and then his pass to the final. It did take him a little bit of time to get into the tournament himself, and I mean, I think that's the thing we overlook in these um, in these competitions. I mean, you kind of team hop so early on. Because you're kind of, you know, the group stage is so intense and you're kind of dazzle, or, you know, different performances catch your eye. But I mean, I, I was even thinking about it with the, uh, 
because the Dutch were so good, I, I remember the, the parallel was brought up from 2008 when they started that tournament with two excellent results, but then kind of completely faded away. And I think there is still a lot to be said for a team that, that grows in a tournament and um, well, it, well, it's a cliche, but that peaks at the right time. And I, I, I think even though there, there are definite issues with Argentina and you can't overlook all their problems because of Messi, I, I still have a kind of maybe, maybe a slightly irrational feeling that, they'll, uh, that they will grow into it. And I'll, yeah, I'll, no. sorry, sorry, just to cross again. No team, or none, none of the notionally best teams have been great. I don't think, well, it's a brilliant term in terms of entertainment. The quality isn't absolutely top level. Because with Spain out, I think that's the big thing about their elimination. That just unlike any of the last three tournaments, a World Cup and two Euros, there's no team you can be absolutely guaranteed that will reach a certain level. So now it just makes it that bit more open. Yeah, and maybe makes it a little bit more open, especially to a team that has the best player in the world for that to cover up a multitude of other faults. But I wonder, uh, Miguel, I mean, we look at what Maradona did in 86, say, you know, one goal in the group stages. So Messi's kind of already ahead of the curve there. Maradona really only exploded into life, as you were saying, in the in the quarterfinals. But all throughout, he was an inspirational figure for his team. He was a, he was a leadership figure for his team. Um, Messi certainly seems to be a leader in this Argentina team, judging by the the rumours from the dressing room, which suggests that pretty much the coach is there to try and figure out what Messi wants and then uh, do it. Do you think he inspires the same kind of uh, uh, devotion in his teammates or, or, or is capable of inspiring the same kind of performances from the players around him as Maradona did? Well, listen, I mean, we're all aware of kind of some of the stories of Messi that uh, the ego has grown with his talent, which supposed to a certain degree is uh, almost quite human. Uh, but I mean, even, like doing some research on that, on that 86 team, it was quite interesting one of the things I saw about Maradona that once they got to, uh, I think their, their, place, their base called Club America, the minute they got there, he, he'd been in, in bad form up until then because of all manner of personal issues. But once they got there, they all talked that he just clicked. And as you said, he suddenly, he was just kind of supremely focused only on one thing and it had an effect on everyone around him. Now, the one thing about Messi, despite the fact that we've had all these stories about the, uh, the debates in the camp and his level of control and, and whether the ego is growing, um, just <laughs> Javier Mascherano in the mix zone, you know, I suppose he is his Barcelona teammate, but even still, just the way he was talking about what, what he was basically gushing about what Messi could do. And I suppose this is the thing, if, if someone is going to do that for you, you will, you're more willing to forget all, any, any other issues. Um, so in that sense, I would say he, he is inspirational. I mean, you, you could, it was it, the, the awe so many. I think there was about five or six players in the mix on afterwards that were, that were just genuinely kind of, you know, wide-eyed about him. Yeah, Belgium, on the other hand, I don't know how enthused you are by them. This is a strange... I don't even know if I want to talk about Russia. They're, they're not really joining the party here, it seems to me, no. Miguel. No, they don't seem to have noticed the trends in this tournament. And they're steadfastly <laughs> dogging it. Know, to a degree, neither do Belgium. I was yeah. quite disappointed with Belgium. Um, like, I mean, I, I think obviously they were never going to live up to... Uh, the, the kind of pre-tournament hype about what they are but I mean the one thing I've watched both of their games and seen them up close yesterday I can't quite escape the feeling that there's still this kind of just collection of talents rather than actual team and I think a lot of that is down to the manager I mean for all the talk about whether we're over promoting some of the players because they're in the Premier League I think there is genuine talent there um, but even yesterday none of them were properly connecting Hazard looked isolated for so long I mean we've all seen the stat about Lukaku only had, has only had two touches in the box in his 113 minutes of this tournament, and they just couldn't seem to work the ball to him. Uh, Dries Martins was doing all right, but kind of almost trying, trying to play on his own for too long. Then this, the midfield kind of seemed unbalanced with like Kevin De Bruyne basically have to anchor everything. 
while Fellaini roamed around. And I think, and but and I remember I was watching this during the game, and I thought, Jesus, I mean, they've got a they've got real kind of structural problems here. Then afterwards, I went to Mark Wilmot's press conference, the manager, and he was kind of it was as if he um, he was talking about a completely different team, talking about their unity, how they all understand the tactical dynamic. And yet, I kind of found myself, uh, you know, thinking he's a good speaker. That's actually, he's actually quite persuasive as a speaker. And I do wonder whether uh, he might there might be an element of the salesman at Wilmot's, which yeah. which means. There's this kind of promotion about what he's doing, even if the team isn't quite li- living up to it yet. Yeah, but you know, also, I mean, that's what a manager has to do. He can't really sit there and, and criticize the team and say, Yeah, I'm very disappointed. The team isn't playing as a team. I don't know what's going on. We're at the World Cup. These guys need to wise up. Managers, I mean, so Klinsman did the same thing last night. You know, everyone, I just feel everyone's growing into the tournament, he said, <laughs> when asked about Michael Bradley, who's been, who's been savagely criticized by pretty much everybody in America on Twitter uh, for his performance last night. And he just said, I think he's really growing in. Do you not get that sense with Belgium? They have got the two wins after all, Miguel. I mean, I would say that Belgium have been a lot like Argentina so far, except with arguably better players in most positions, except for one that we all know about. Yeah, and well, there's a lot to be said about um, this kind of, if maybe momentum is the wrong word, but in a tournament this short, suddenly having that little bit of kind of a, a manager with relentless positivity, I mean, it can have an effect. And I, even I was thinking the same with, um, with Klinsman last night. I mean, I wouldn't call uh, Klinsman a chancer, but I, I, I do think, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not completely convinced about his managerial capabilities. I mean, especially if you contrast, say, what happened with Bayern Munich or what happened with Germany before that. But I think his actual... What he does and the kind of the mood he sets could actually be very, very beneficial to to a tournament setting. And I don't think you can deny. I mean, from my own personal um, doubts about him as a guy, I don't think you can deny that like the USA are growing, growing as a team. They looked at much more a team than Portugal last night. And yeah, it, it is possible that uh, that 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 Belgium could, it could have the same effect. And actually, a, a lot of their squad. I mean, again, in the mix on yesterday, uh, like so many of them were so keen to say, well. Um, Oh, the score, Ogre, This he sums up how young this team is, and um, you, you do wonder whether there's, there's a certain sense of them building for 2016 as well, and whether some of their issues have been a fact because it is quite a young squad. I think it's statistically uh, the second or third youngest in the tournament. Miguel, we better let you go there because I know you're heading to the arena, Corinthian Stadium. You're in Sao Paulo. You're going to see Holland and Chile today. That's uh, got to get the juices flowing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I was. After the Spain match last week, I was kind of thinking oh, this could be because I was I was down to do it. I was thinking it could be a bit of a dead rubber now, but obviously it's not going to be because <laughs> the loser, or perhaps in the, if it's a draw, Chile um, will end up playing Brazil and Bella Horizonte, which probably neither want. Although I I would fancy almost both to take Brazil at the moment. Yeah, I think a lot of people would listen. Enjoy the game, Miguel. Thank you. Cheers, lads. Thanks. We'll get back to that Holland Chile game, Ken, because I do think um, well, it's, it's, it's more than worth talking about. It's going to be amazing, I'd imagine. But just on me- your own thoughts on Messi. There, we, we know he maybe is controlling, or it seems to be that he's controlling the team a little bit more than um, should be the case. But as long as he keeps popping in shots in 20 yards, the players will be all right. I'm sure Maradona had a certain amount of say in tactics in 86. Yeah, I think he's going to be all right. Um, someone told me a story, actually, about um, the 86 Argentina team um, <laughs> involving the uh, substitute goalkeeper. Yeah. I think his name was Isla. And, um, and you know, they, their coach was this guy, um, Carlos Bilardo, who was a, who was a real hard man, you know, one of these real Caudillo, uh, South American authoritarian types. Uh, and at their pre-World Cup training camp, says to the players, um, okay, guys, uh, you can go out. Yeah, you can go out tonight. But let me tell you that anyone who's not here 
anyone who's not back here at the hotel by 11 o'clock is not going to go to the World Cup. And you know me that I don't miss around. Anyone who isn't back here by 11, I'm going to kick them straight out of the squad. And I don't care who they are. They're not coming. And so <clears throat> anyway, uh, and he said, don't think that I'm joking about this. This is this, the most serious thing that you've ever heard in your life. So anyway, uh, they all head out. He, Louis Eastlas, I think is the name of the guy. So they, they head out, and Louis Eastlas has a, has a bit of an awesome time. I think he was only like 20 years old at the time, uh, and irresponsibly forgets his uh, deadline and, and, and arrives stumbling back at the hotel at like 3 o'clock and looks around, uh, thinks like the coast is clear, and scuttles up to his hotel room and thinks, I've got away with it. Next day, team meeting is called. Bellardo angrily pacing around. He says, um, one of you has betrayed the group. One of you has betrayed my trust, has disobeyed my orders, and will not go to the 1986 World Cup. Um, and Isla is, is sitting there with his hangover, thinking to himself, oh, no. Oh, no, this is going to be really horrible. Um, uh, but Bellardo just keeps pacing around and ranting about one of you. And Isla eventually sort of twigs, hang on a second, he doesn't know who it was. Yeah. And Bellardo was saying... Um, that's why, uh, you know, we can't, we can't afford to go to this World Cup with a traitor in our ranks. We can't afford to go to this World Cup with the kind of man who would stitch up uh, his teammates uh, <laughs> and who would disobey instructions. And whoever it is had better come forward now and own up. And I'll tell you that if you own up, you won't go to the World Cup. I'm not going to have mercy on you, but I might consider you for international duty after this World Cup. You may still have a chance of having an international career after we finish this World Cup. You won't go to the tournament, but you could play for Argentina again. But if you don't own up, you'll never play for Argentina again. So he's just sitting there thinking, oh no, oh no, what am I going to do? And, uh, but still not quite owning up. And Bellardo is getting more and more angry and redder and redder in his face. So eventually Maradona just sticks up his hand and goes, it was me, boss. At which point Bellardo says, okay, forget about it, let's go. <laughs> so, uh, would Messi do that? Would Messi do that for his teammates? I'm sure. I'm sure he would. I mean, look, Messi has scored two winning goals, two brilliant winning goals in two matches. He can't really do much more than that. Uh, and if he keeps doing that, I think he's going to be all right. We haven't talked about England's elimination from the tournament at the hands of Costa Rica. Weirdly, Ken, they haven't played them yet, but the Costa Ricans have knocked England and Roy Hodgson's boys out. I saw Hodgson doing an interview on ITV last night. Oh my, he looked like a broken man, I must say. Uh, well, why was what, so broken about him? I mean, I, I've only read his quotes. I haven't seen his interviews and, and he sounds like he's full of vim and vigour no. and can't wait to get back working for Euro 2016. The first question, Adrian Giles was speaking to him outside by a pool, I think, certainly in some nice salubrious area outside England's training base. And I think the first question was, have you ever felt as low in such beautiful surroundings something like that it was a bit more articulate than that by Adrian Giles but it was along those lines and Hodgson managed to force a smile and he said that's the first time I've smiled in two days and was very well, introspective uh, for the rest of the 90 seconds yeah. sorry sorry Anne, go on he was just very introspective the then for the next uh, next 90 seconds or so it was a short TV type interview you know but it, there was uh, there was hurt there clearly um, I think Adrian Charles should have asked, Coach, how did you get it so wrong last week? What do you think you got what do you think you got it all wrong? <laughs> that would have been a bit, that would have been a more interesting question, I think, for us. Although I don't know if he necessarily would have given the charming um forlorn smile and sort of played on everyone's sympathy for the next ninety seconds. No, I mean you gotta remember Roy Hodgson is in the job uh, by choice. This is the job he apparently wants to do. He gets paid a hell of a lot of money to do it. Um, you know, so it's not it's not really a question of you know, 
you know, do you feel sorry for Roy Hodgson? I don't feel sorry for Roy Hodgson at all. His results have been a disaster. Most coaches in his position will be sacked. Um, so if he's able to, if he, if he's able to hang on to his job um, until 2016, well done to him. He obviously has a great relationship with, with the people who employ him uh, because they're not employing him uh, on the strength of his results anymore. Uh, Ken, today's games. Let's start with Holland, Chile, Spain, Australia. Spain, oh, poor Spain. They have to play this dead rubber match that nobody will be watching because it's on the same time as the two best teams so far in the tournament. Yeah. Um, well, it's their fault. Uh, I mean, again, I don't feel sorry for them. They they have had a pretty bad few days. Xabi uh, Alonso come out and say, uh, come, comes out and says, um, you know, we've got no hunger anymore. There's no ambition. The, the look in the players' eyes isn't the same, uh, which apparently was disagreed with by all the other Spain players who suggested that, who seems to have suggested off the record to journalists that the player, Xabi Alonso, most seem to be talking about with that was, or most seem to be describing with that was himself. Um, so this team spirit, which carried Spain to three titles, appears to have evaporated uh, in the midst of failure, as always happens, I think, uh, with every team. No well, let's forget about them. Okay, let's forget about Spain like the rest of the watching public will be today. And I want to ask you about Holland against Chile. Miguel reckons that it kind of doesn't matter who wins or loses this one because either of these sides is going to destroy Brazil in the next round should Brazil win their group tonight. Well, I wouldn't be so confident about that. But equally, I'm not sure that playing Croatia or Mexico, as it's going to be, is that much better a prize. I mean, I think Croatia and Mexico are both good teams. They're both among the better teams that we've seen in the tournament. I think, I think that group is, is, is not a weak group by any means. So I wouldn't necessarily be confident that either Holland or Chile will, will get through that next game, regardless of who it is that they play. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think Holland have <clears throat> Holland have been the outstanding team so far. Nobody really wants to play them. Holland have had the outstanding individual performances from Robin and from Van Persie, uh, and they've still got Snyder, I suppose, who who hasn't really shown the best of his form yet. So they are, on the face of it, a scarier team um, than Chile. But you know, we saw what Chile did against Spain; they completely ran them off the park. So nobody. Um, Nobody really wants to play. <laughs> None of these sides want to play each other on. But the wonder of the World Cup is that they're going to be forced to play each other and a lot of them are going to die. Uh, we're also making an assumption here that Brazil are going to win their group. But is it possible that Cameroon, I don't know if you take this World Cup continent by continent, Ken, but it certainly seems that uh, if Cameroon have maybe brought shame upon the continent of Africa, they've been bailed out somewhat by the performances of the likes of Ghana and Algeria over the weekend. Could Cameroon be inspired by that and actually dump Brazil out. Because if Brazil lose this game, they're playing at 9 o'clock, and Croatia and Mexico play out a draw in the other match, then Brazil go out. Yeah, I Cameroon, Brazil aren't going to lose to Cameroon, you know. Uh, I mean, I, I say that in exactly the pompous uh, tone of someone who's, who's about to be proved wrong uh, and have egg all over their face. But I just, I just can't imagine Brazil losing to that team. They were so awful. I mean, I watched their game against Croatia. Abysmal. Um, the goalkeeper, uh, Charles Itanje, jumping out of the way of, of shots by Croatia. Nobody defending set pieces. Players fighting each other. I, I don't see that team being able to beat Brazil. Um, you know, the, the question in Brazil is whether or not playing against Cameroon is just the tonic that Fred needs after his uh, miserable uh, start to the World Cup, which, of course, Philippe Scolari is saying, isn't miserable, but uh, the interesting thing that's happened over here is that Alan Shearer has become this 
massive uh, celebrity in Brazil. It's a bit like that time the German ambassador to Ireland uh, said that the Irish people were vulgar and greedy or whatever it was. He said, um, you know, all, the, all Irish people care about is money and buying property and, and drink or, some, you know, some other right. completely true things that the German ambassador <laughs> said and, uh, and caused outrage. Well, Alan Shearer basically said that Fred, you know, doesn't move. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't offer goals. To, I don't know why they're still playing him. And every time I turn the TV on, Alan, Alan Shearer is there. Uh, I mean, I actually saw him getting interviewed in Copacabana the other day, where he was. Um, I mean, they were. I don't know how he was answering, but they were asking questions, and he was somehow answering in English. They weren't. They weren't giving any translation. But I mean, he was just saying the kind of stuff he usually says. He wasn't talking about Fred at that stage. But Scott, uh, Danny Alves says, you know, this guy's an idiot. How can anyone who's played the game say something as stupid? Um, everyone's sort of rallying around Fred and they're hoping that maybe against Cameroon he can score a couple of goals and get the juices flowing again, you know, but Alan Shearer making a big splash, as is Gary Lineker actually, I was watching Gary Lineker last night on Diego Maradona's TV show um, I have to say Diego Maradona's TV show is really terrible um, I'm it's shocked, him. Ked, it's unbelievable Sorry? I'm shocked have, have, you, have you seen it? No, I mean, I'm, I'm Diego Maradona presents a TV show. It sounds pretty terrible, Ken. I'm not going to well, lie he to you. Well, he doesn't really present it, actually. He, what he does is it looks a bit like a radio show. That's basically what it looks like, you know. Uh, so it's him and Victor Hugo Morales, who's like this you know, big sort of uh, sports writer. He's the guy who did the famous commentary um, on Maradona's goal uh, in, in 86. Genio, 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 you know, the, the Spanish commentary. Yeah. Um, uh, so, and, and it's mainly Victor Hugo Morales who kind of leads the conversation. Maradona just talks. It appears about 1986 and particularly his goals against England. He just talks about those goals. It's it's kind of awful the way he's just become this kind of nostalgia, in this mini nostalgia industry where he just goes around talking about the 1986 World Cup and like, you know, what he was thinking. And they show the hand of God and he's like, uh, you know, he sort of laughs at that. And uh and then they show the other goal. But it, Gary Lineker was the guest on his show. So Gary Lineker turned up, turned up for the second half. It's like a half-hour show. And Lineker was talking in Spanish, you know, but he speaks the kind of Spanish that, it, that you can understand even if you don't speak Spanish. Um, if, you follow, if you follow me, it's quite, it's quite... Like, you know, when he's talking about, uh, you know, uh, dos partidos in Mundial and sort of shaking his head sadly, okay, he's talking about, he's talking about England. Um, you know, he goes on and, and uh, is talking about how in England, you know, we just don't think the the national team is the most important thing. La Selection, we don't think it's the most important thing. Uh, we think the league, uh, poor, poor, poor los fans, poor los clubs uh, is the most important thing. Uh, you know, whereas the, whereas the national team is different. So, you know, the, the conversation wasn't particularly enlightening, nor was it... Uh, Particularly, I mean, it was very boring, is what I have to say. Maradona would occasionally, they, they were being very serious with each other until right at the very end when I think they went to shake hands. And I, and I think Lineker's gag was that he didn't want to shake hands with the hand that scored the um, the hand of God goal. Although he did think the second goal was very good. <laughs> so, uh, so so Maradona laughed at it. And then, then they sort of started slapping each other in the back and behaving like a couple of proper men around each other. You know, lots of kind of slapping each other's hands and backs and stuff and, and suddenly everything looked relaxed. But of course the program was over, so so that was it. Ken, last word. Croatia or Mexico, who's going through? Uh Croatia or Mexico. <sighs> well, what happens if it's a draw? Well we're gonna send the Mexicans through then, Ken, based on their draw they got against Brazil. 
I think, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, Mexico are a point ahead, aren't they? Of course. Yeah. I think Mexico have a good chance of getting a draw, although you would fancy Mandzukic to score a header at some point. All right. So maybe a 1 1 draw with a Mandzukic header and Mexico to go through. Murph, thank you very much. Thank for you, Owen. Being here and listening to Ken over there in Brazil. Ken, you said you're having a great time. Thank you. Yeah, great. It's, it's very rainy here, so I might, I might have to wear. Um, proper shoes and socks today I don't know if flip-flops are going to cut it so uh, I'm resting that decision as we speak we can only feel sympathy for Ken over there uh, in Natal but thanks very much for listening to uh, check out our show later on today we're going to be putting out uh, mostly GA Championship Review of the Weekend and I'd like to say Review of the Weekend Murph we're talking about a lot of stuff that, that are that's going on not just based on the uh, on the matches that we're on because Shane Kern I know has a couple of things that he wants to get off his chest about the GA in general and how the weaker counties need a bit more than just the token leg up that he feels maybe they're getting at the moment. So there'll be loads of good stuff on that one. Hopefully you've enjoyed the show. Take care and we'll chat to you later. You can see the expectancy. Coach, this is the game you wanted a victory, but it didn't happen. What happened? Oh, Pepe's such an idiot. A game that they've been looking forward to for a long time. Where do you where do you think you got it all wrong today? And then Pepe just ruins it for everyone. Thanks a lot, Pepe. You can see the level of expectancy. He <laughs> <laughs> was fucking dreaded. Sorry, yeah. we're not we're out of here. Oh, we're not, are we? We are. Oh. Well, I apologise for that, but obviously, <laughs> it didn't exactly just win. All right. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 